Let's turn to the book of Mark, chapter 60. I'm chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. As we, as we enter into the narrative, I want to give it some structure. Um, I'm always eager to get, give you context, right? Context that will give meaning to the reading. I, so what we've seen before, the Son of God thesis controls. This is the thesis that Mark is attempting to prove. Now some of you might find this hard to believe, or you may despise it, or, or, or think it's not been proved satisfactorily to you yet, and you wonder if it even could be. And what we saw, the Son of God, in, in a very, um, what I'm going to say, in a, a, a sort of cosmic, a cosmic power kind of demonstration, shows his, his power over space and time uh, in the storm. And then he shows his power over the legion, in the uh, in, of, of darkness, and he shows his power over uh, over death and suffering. Over death and suffering, and then we got into this interlude of his rejection, and that has been a theme all along. He's being rejected by everybody, family, his hometown, even ultimately by his disciples. Aha. Now we're into a new section, though. And from this point on, is it 6.30? Is that what it is? Verse 30? All the way to, I think it's 8, uh, verse 17 or something like that. I can't remember. But all the way to, to, through there, now we're new. This is, this is fascinating. The, now it's, it's not really this. It's not really this thesis. All right, this, this thesis here would have been very pleasing to, to, uh, to uh, and perhaps proof-sensitive proof to the Greeks and the Romans. Like they would have said, okay, and this is a very universal, if you have power over storm and power over demonic power and power over death and suffering, then you are definitely not of this world. Uh, and the Son of God thesis is thereby perhaps proved. But this section has a different intention. This test section is now a more fantastical. It is, it's more fantastical, and what I mean by it is fantastical and directly related to Old Testament and to the Jewish expectations or the Jewish story of its prophets and its exodus, and it's, it's, it's much more tailored. In other words, it's the sort of miracle, put it this way, Christ walks on water. Why does he have to walk on water? Why does that have to be a part of the story? Well, there's a lot of stories in the, Jewish, in the Jewish history of what? God parting water, <laughs> separating water, God opening up water, where water is not a barrier to his power. So Jesus begins to satisfy in this fantastical section a number of like, issues like that. In fact, it's, it's an, I think it's very well constructed. The, this happens now, by the way, two times. Now with the feeding of the 5,000, which we saw in Exodus 16. But we'll also see language uh, that they, he says uh, they were compassionate, sheep without a shepherd. Let me read it. Let's see what we get out of it as we read it. And then perhaps we'll have, uh, perhaps we'll have some, some fruit in it. And I'm, and, uh, I'm going, actually, I'm going to read it this way. I'm going to, I don't usually do this, but as I'm reading... I'm going to point out some of the, 
some of the, the uh, verse by verse, some of the things I want you to notice and will become important later. It's beginning in verse 30 of, of Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Okay? Um, the apostles, some of the other synoptics give this a lot more history. They give it a lot of story. They explain a lot. For Mark, it's not a very vital, very vital point to explain what they were doing and what Jesus' response was, like in Luke. Luke. Luke expands this largely. He has other interests. Mark's interests are not that. But Mark is the only synoptic to use that word apostle. He's the only one. Apostle's a later word. And I think it's very intentional because this was written under the aegis, under the supervision, and under the, the editing and, and storytelling of Peter himself. This is this bears firsthand account. So apostle, he, and so the apostle, that's, an impo- that's going to be important because this is meant to be a story for the church. Hope for the church. Hope for the church, how the church operates. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They're going to... Does anybody recognize this word? In the Old Testament, can you, I don't know if you can read my my, my terrible handwriting. Uh, something's happening. They're out in desolate places. That's a location. That's a part of the fantastical works of God with His people. You're supposed to be, in a sense, on alert. Remote location. Remote location and wilderness, God's up to something. Something's about to happen. Also, as a footnote, you'll notice that uh, Jesus is very tender with his disciples. They haven't even had a chance to eat. They've been working so hard, and they're getting burned out. As a little footnote, apparently it's possible to get burned out when Jesus is actually right with you. It's possible. It's possible. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is from the book of Numbers, and it's also from the book of Ezekiel. A promise of a shepherd. Moses needs a replacement. He needs a replacement shepherd. Does anybody know what his replacement, what his name was? His name was Joshua. Do you know what Jesus' name is in Hebrew? Joshua. Ooh. See? Texas, he's making connections. He began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, 
with an imperative, a command. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, now it's hard to capture here. Um, this is actually quite rude. Their, their response is in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the grammar is rude. They're, they immediately start doing what's in the Exodus story. They start grumbling. What? Uh, I'm going to see a little condescension here that maybe Jesus doesn't really understand money or logistics or how to feed people or what, like he doesn't get it. And, and the response is totally disrespectful. Uh, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, I want you to catch this. When poor people say, what do you want, 40 grand? Yeah, I got it in the trunk. Wait, let me write you a check. Are you serious? This is a joke. Why, are you, why would you tell us to do this? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they have found out, they said, five and two fish. There's kind of a careful recording here and a careful description, right? So that the miracle about to happen will be measurable. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups of the green grass. Green grass, the only time any color of foliage is mentioned in the New Testament. You know why? It's a first-hand account. This is not fantasy. So they sat down. And now taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And, and they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I just want to ask God to be present right now. Father, I ask for presence uh, from you, for my people, the presence of the Holy Spirit to evoke and provoke and, and create understanding amongst us. We are people who need understanding. I pray where there is resistance, that it will, it will uh, be charmed, uh, uh, charmed by uh, the, all the hope for a God who, who acts like this, where, where there some of us have, have been struggling, we've been discouraged, we're We've been in fear about our own lives. We, we train us now to turn, uh, train us. Uh, where, where confusion about your love and the gospel is, uh, uh, eliminate that confusion. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are many. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, I've had this apology. I have these apologetic crises, I, you know, and I wonder... You know, that Jesus doing wonders like this, the fantastical and the advent of the fantastical. What you do if, uh, you know, most people that we know in this generation are sitting here going, you don't all really, and it, this has happened probably, you don't even know it. Somebody's probably sitting somewhere in, in our community hearing about this, and they're sitting there going and they're processing this spiritual Christian experience that's happening, and they, this is what they're thinking. 
these people appear fairly intelligent. There's no way they really believe this stuff happened, do they? You think that's a fair, fair thing most people are thinking? Oh, come on. I'm sure, all right, let me disabuse you of that notion. Um, um, you're looking around, and uh, these are a number of intelligent people. And uh, we actually believe this, this actually happened the way it's described. My challenge to you um, will be to suspend, suspend your disbelief. I'm asking you to make, make, make a listen to a message about this, a message about this miracle, a thought experiment. And I think the thought experiment I'm asking you to have is to walk into this, this event, to walk into the promises that interpret this event, the promises of love that interpret this event, to walk into the possibility of this event and as, as a thought experiment. Because I'm going to claim this. The Son of God is the one factor that's outside all scientific critical systems. There's no, there is no, there is no way that in, in, in any, in any uh, scientific system that, that this factor, that this idea, that this can be quantified or qualified and predicted for what it could do to space and time and molecules and atomic structure and all the other things. No, all bets are off is what I'm saying. And I'm asking you to have this thought experiment with me. And perhaps what looks fantastical will begin to creep into your heart as a hope for wonder. And a God whose love actually multiplies in provision. Uh, that's a sweet story. A sweet idea, isn't it? If it's not just a fantasy. And it, I do not think that it is... Okay, um, I, notice, I notice three things then for the Son of God thesis now. And they are <laughs> a love delivery, a love delivery on promises. A love delivery on promises. And that's how, if the Jewish people who were experiencing this event, if they, were if they were paying attention, which they should have been, they would have known that this entire event, even, even Christ's compassion here, is a, is a delivery of love. It's love delivering on promise. And, and, and because the, the, the earning in numbers is kind of uh, is special, it's, uh, Moses says, who... They're like sheep without a shepherd. The, the language is extremely similar. They're like sheep without, who will lead them? So they're not sheep like without a shepherd. And then that numbers answer in, the, in that story, in the, in the old narratives, when they're in the wilderness, by the way, uh, is going to be Joshua. Joshua, a name that is meant to be like the prom, a promise of the name Jesus as the Son of God. But the hunger for the shepherd who could totally take care of his people, Joshua never satisfied that. Ezekiel then talks about, I am going to send a new shepherd. There's a promise of a shepherd, a shepherd who will lead my people and not leave them alone. And so uh, even in Christ, let's get, get this, in Christ's dispositional 
uh, uh, dispositional passion and, and, and movement of emotional energy and response is what? That is an actual fulfillment of the promise of a, of a prophet who would love, of a shepherd who would give up his life for the sheep. Even, even his emotional experience is fulfilling prophetic promise of love. I, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then, all right, so it gets even better. It gets even better because that's just, uh, that, that, that's just the promise about the shepherd. What other promises when people are fed, when people are fed, when people are fed miraculously out in the wilderness? Does anybody remember the last line from the call to worship? The very last line of, from Exodus 16, and what Moses says to them, it is the bread that the I am has given you to eat. So as the apostles and, the pro, as the apostles and all the men, and there were probably many more, it's just the men that were counted, as all these people eat and get filled, what are they supposed to, what are they supposed to remember? What are they supposed to remember? Who feeds his people this way? The I am the Lord. The I am the eternal God. And they're supposed to realize and recognize, aha, the aha moment, that, that Jesus is not mere, he's not playing tricks, and there, there wasn't a truck parked behind a boulder unloading packages, and there wasn't a, there wasn't any, that this is a real bona fide, miraculous event hearkening back to the promises. It is a love delivery. <laughs> it is a love delivery of promises that I will care, I will care, and I won't just, gonna, I'm not just going to care, I'm going to actually materially love you, I'm going to feed you because I care, I'm going to, that's, that's, that's the, that's, you know, you see it with Stacy and her hospitality, and Adele, and others, whenever you're in these people's home, you'd, Sarah and Clayton, now this, people feed you deeply, you know, they give, Madeline, Madeline uh, McLaren especially, Madeline gets annoyed, McLaren, <laughs> McLaren makes barata, you know, because that's a love delivery. That's a delivering on the internal, uh, the internal experience of love. And, and you taste it. It's, oh, it's good. It's, it's real. It's real. The love delivery is real. Um, I think of two things in this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this now into how we understand how we understand the cross, how we understand saving love. But um, do you notice that uh, Jesus does not give food to everybody? Who gives food to everybody? The disciples do. And um, you, can't, you can't live in God's kingdom you can't be a, you can't even pretend, let's not even pretend you're a part of God's kingdom if you're not living in a world of compassionate kindness for people who don't have anybody to care for them. One of the characteristics, one of the hallmarks that I hope for for our community is this sort of active compassion as we look at a lost generation and a lost city. 
what do we say? Look at them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And if that'll be one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit working here, will be an interior life that can't help but see, see the street and see it and go, oh, oh. and doesn't just feel it, but what? Oh, we were walking down Minna. We saw the guys shooting, you know, the guys who were shooting up at, down in Minna and the, the, heroin, the heroin addicts. What can I, what can I do? And delivery on the love and promise and compassionate action of Jesus Christ is always what the church looks like. And, it, and if we don't look like that, then we don't have any business being here. But what's going to activate that? What's going to, all right, so I've just advocated us having a compassionate love on the city. But that's not enough. Because I might just make you feel guilty. What else is happening on this love delivery? The lesson that Jesus wants to teach. Jesus plus zero equals all things. He's leading them. The math doesn't work. The impudence of the disciples and their shortness with their master is just like the grumbling of those Old Testament people. Hey, look, this doesn't work. I don't know if you realize it, but we're hungry and there's no food. Hungry, no food, no money. We don't have a material position with which to hope for anything to happen. Why would you tell me to feed these people? What what, What are you setting me up for? When I told you that we need to become a people of love for the city, I've done the same thing because Clayton and I are not loving enough <laughs> to carry anybody but ourselves half the time. I, and that was more for me than it is for you. I think you're... Uh, I just realized I spoke for you, and, and I may have spoke truly, but... It'd be, uh, and <laughs> we talk about you know, we, we, we joke around about being misanthropic, but sometimes we joke around about it because we experience it. Aha, uh-huh. what's it going to unleash this love delivery on promises? Encountering the fact that Jesus takes and builds and erects and feeds, and his whole kingdom is built on zero. Zero. Jesus loves zero. Where, what is the great zero moment, the zero hour? What is the zero hour in his life when he's on the cross? And he dies. He is, that, is, that is ground zero for everything that we want to believe and claim. Because the only way to enter into the love of Christ and all the rescue for sinners is when you bring what? Zero. <laughs> when you bring nothing. When you realize candidly, you say to Jesus, like the disciples, hey, you know, I have nothing. I don't have what it takes to be somebody you would like. I don't have what it takes to be a good man or a good woman. I don't have what it takes to enter into your glory. I don't have what it takes to hope for heaven. I don't have what it takes to, to get up in the morning. You know, we can keep talking about it. What is, I don't know what zero looks like for you or where you experience an account or how far you're trying to run from zero or trying to hide the zero that's inside you, but it is out of nothing that Christ brings and demonstrates his power. And this is why the feeding of the 5,000, it gets repeated again later. He's, and the reason he repeats it later, and this, it becomes kind of a, this section, uh, 
This is a part of a section from 630 to 817. This is a section that's meant to just keep exposing this truth. Jesus plus zero is nothing. Uh, Jesus plus zero is everything, sorry. Jesus plus nothing gives us all things. All right, so two things now. One, there is no other way for you to begin or to begin. Some of you, some of you are just at a beginning point with knowing God. The true beginning point for knowing God, it's okay, if, if, it's okay if you're frustrated with this message and don't get it. You notice that the disciples don't get it? You notice the Old Testament people were kind of like, huh? Why are you here? What are you, what are you trying to mess with us for? Maybe you don't get it. But I want to I encourage you with this. The entry point into knowing God is when I say, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I know what zero feels like because I have zero. I'm just a, a ruined, broken woman. And it's all of grace that I'm loved and accepted. That's, that's your zero hour where everything builds from there. All right, that was for those beginning faith. Maybe you're seeking, maybe you're skeptic or a cynic. That's the beginning point where you realize you're at zero. What about you of working, walking with God for a long time? God still, and our Father still does what? He's still breaking down some of us in our lives, right? He's breaking us down through, through struggles we're having. Maybe personally, maybe, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, maybe, maybe uh, uh, in business or in, in wherever we are. And we're being broken down still. And because our father wants to turn around and take his children on a journey, children already knows, to relearn and rediscover and trust and don't be afraid and don't be discouraged, right? Because I build from zero. And I'm always going to keep doing this. And I'm only going to build. And this, this is an encouragement. This is meant to tell you, don't be afraid. And don't get frustrated. You hear the frustration of the disciples? And I'm telling you, hey, help me plant this church. And some of you are just going, some of you are going, I don't know what to do. Oh, it's okay. Um, I shared this. I'm going to show this again, even though I shared it. Did you use the illustration about the building site? Did you use it, Amy? Yeah. So my, my, my PCA coordinator is here, and he met with a bunch of people. He was super encouraged about our church and what's going on now. And he said, you know what I told my people years ago, Chris? If you ever lived in a city long enough, you'll walk around and you'll see a site, a big site, and it's a hole in the ground. And then you can walk by and you kind of see through the grates or through, see the siding, just check it out. And, you, and a lot of times if it's near you, you check it out again. And if, you ever notice how long it stays a hole? You ever notice how long it stays an empty block? Sometimes, in fact, the bigger the building, you know, the longer it stays an empty block. Why? Because the foundations have to be built. Foundations in this city are extraordinarily important. What does it look like while it's a pit and a hole? It looks like zero. <laughs> it looks like less than nothing. What is the God who loves and approaches weakness and approaches zero? What, what, is, what is really going on? He's building something beautiful. You look around, and sometimes some of us want the church plant to go fast, or we want to see numbers, or we want to see... No. 
we, we are trusting in this God to make this story all of him, all of his glory. Say, we knew, we have known and witnessed and participated in the work of God who works from zero. Amen? I because I would, not, I would like to be a part of building a church that I can't build. Does that make sense? I want, don't you want to be a part of something that you can't make? That it's not possible to give credit to you for? Well, that's the final part. That's the final lesson. The love delivery comes on promises. Jesus plus zero is the, is the underpinning, leads at least all things in blessing. But what is the means by which zero leads to all things? What are the means by which it happens? It happens in your hands. <laughs> See, this is one of those really, this is one of the most amazing things about this miracle. Jesus blesses it, he breaks it, hands it off to Peter, James, John, even Judas is there to help out. Simon, Bartholomew, Andrew. Now, there's still no miracle, right? I mean, that's not if somebody were to say, oh my goodness, you fed 12 people. Maybe the priests were big. But where does the miracle now happen? They all go and start breaking and feeding. And then, who was this miracle for? Who was supposed to witness it? The 5,000 probably did not know what happened, frankly. Not, if, you're not a part of the, if you're not a part of the discussion up top, you're just like, man, they were ready. <laughs> they re they're organized. The, hey, listen, somebody might say that about our church. Well, they're really organized, but that's not the truth. <laughs> the truth is what? The Lord gave something to me and to McLaren and to Madeline and Dylan and to, uh, I'm sorry, I know Dave. Dave, Dave and Stefania and, and uh, Erica, and, he, and then they turned around and gave, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, what, what? You know, the miracle is not just that God loves sinners and saves them by his blood, as we learn in the bread and wine of the table, and the meal right here, set before us by our God. It's the fact that you, Luke, become a broker. You, Elena, become somebody who then goes and feeds somebody else. You see? And even if you feel you have nothing, it's still doing, and it's still going. And even if you're convinced you can't be a part or not a part or you're resenting or you disbelief, you hear the, and you know, you know in Christ, Christ is, why, why, why are the disciples wrong? Why are they so wrong? In this text, why? What was their great error in unbelief? When Christ commands something, what does that mean? It's going to happen. <laughs> this is the Son of God premise, right? It's going to happen. And he says, go and feed these people. And what they should have known was this is the same guy who just said, hey, wind and waves, shut up. And they shut up. Or, or you know, this is, the, this is the same God who said to the little child, the dead in, her, dead in the bed, hey, uh, rise up. They said, when he gives a command, he then goes and gives the power for that command to come to life. 
And uh, I picture us, I picture, I want to challenge us, the doubts, questions, concerns, fears that we have about the, whether we can be a church that will ever make any impact on a city that doesn't care if we live or die. <laughs> doesn't care if we're here. And I want to say yes. Because the Lord said, go and plant a church. And, and then multiplying. And you guys know about my own, my own zero. You guys have seen me working from zero. Haven't you seen it? And then um, as I'm working for zero with what I have, this single Sunday morning, breaking the word, breaking this table as we come to it, it multiplies. And our Father gets all the glory. My hope is that one day, First Presbyterian Church will be reckoned amongst the fantastical stories <laughs> of the kingdom of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we have come to your word, and we pray and we hope that you have fed us. And I look for your feeding. These things are only known by faith, and, and uh, I just see how your son is a delivery, a delivery of your love, your eternal love, a delivery of promises a thousand years old, a delivery for promises now a thousand years, two thousand years new, a delivery that you will do what you have said. You will love. You will send a shepherd. You will feed. So Father, I pray that you'd you would take off the blinders off our hearts. Some of us have blinders about understanding how to come to you with nothing, and that's the only way we can come to the cross, saying we have nothing, and trusting in Jesus alone. Some of us, this is a great mystery. And for some of us, as, even as we have known you, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters, we who are afraid of zero, afraid of, afraid of not being able to do it, make it. And uh, we're asking you now, Father, as it says in, was it Romans 4, 18, the God who calls things that are not as though they were, that you would do this now. What's here in this, what's here in this story, you would do this now for us as a church. We pray to be fed at this table. We pray to grow and flourish. And Father, we're asking you to be a church that we can't build. So we can say we were built by God. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. In a similar way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. It's the cup of the covenant. Now, um, it, there is, by the way, make no mistake, make no mistake, when Jesus begins tapping on all the bread, manna, feeding images, 
they're all leading up to this ultimate tactile metaphor. But it's not merely a metaphor. The spiritual presence of Christ by the Holy Spirit is active by faith for all those who eat and drink of his body and his blood. This is a mystical table. But don't, I want you to hear it. This is the heart of what it means to become a Christian. Jesus plus zero. And when you eat the bread and the wine, you are saying, I have nothing. Christ is my everything. He is my salvation. So food and meal and bread become a way, become a means by which we can taste, see, and touch the reality of God. So that's what this table's about. That's why every week I, may, I encourage all of you who are sinners, who believe in Jesus, to get to your table. I want to pray, I want to, I want to encourage everybody who knows they come with zero to get to this table and grab it by faith. What's in faith's hands? Zero. Nothing. It's just grabbing, grabbing God. That is how you would respond to communion. So I always do an anti-altar call, right? Where I say this, good men and good women, if you think you're a good and wise woman or a good and wise man, and you've done good things, and that's, that's why you're happy to be here because you are truly a religious person, happy to be a part of a religious ceremony where we can celebrate the good things we're doing, then you are not at zero. You are not, you do not understand the love feast of the Lamb. And I'm going to say, if you think you're a good man, you are actually unworthy to come eat at my Father's table. Some of you have been grumblers, right? Wondering where the provision of God is. Come on in. Get something to eat. Return to your Savior. Those who are skeptics who think I'm, who think I'm out to lunch, um, <laughs> get it? Out to lunch? This is kind of a lunch here. All right. Uh, if, you think, uh, if you don't think my belief system's crazy, I respect that you're even here and you listen. And I'm thankful. And I hope the thought experiment was helpful. But uh, as this is the conclusion of the thought experiment, I'd ask you if you're a, if you're a, if you're a skeptic who does not believe to not partake but to watch, to watch and wonder if someday you could believe this stuff and receive this God is true. And uh, we'll talk more about that if you want uh, later. All right? Uh, we're going to enter a time of chaos. Uh, this is wine on either side, the right and the left. The center, the center uh, uh, six cups are grape juice for those who prefer it. These are gluten-free rice crackers. And what we're going to do is, as we recite the Apostles' Creed coming up, it's actually written out in your, in your guide. As we do the Apostles' Creed, I want you to please come forward and take some uh, bread and wine, and then we'll return to our seats and take it together. When we've taken it together, we're going to sing the doxology, and then I'm going to bless us. I'm going to uh, do a benediction. After that, it's a free-for-all uh, of people going to places lunch for lunch, does anybody have a lunch plans? The Grove is the only thing big enough to handle us today. All right, we're going to go to the Grove, which is about four blocks that way, and it's a breakfast place, and it's fantastic. 
So, all right, it's relative. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, it's above average. Uh, it's not fantastic, but. Uh, so, um, we'll be doing that after we have cleaned up this area. And please stay and enjoy uh, our fellowship and our whatever foods are in the back, too. All right. Uh, Christian, brother, sister, hey, McLaren, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. He said that he was the bread of life. That's what he said. He said, my body is good food, and my blood is good drink. He said, unless you eat of me, unless you eat of me, the bread from heaven, you cannot have any part of me. He says he is life, eternal life, to all those who trust in him and believe. His body is good food, his blood, good drink. His body is good food. His blood is good drink. Come, taste with me and see. He took uh, the food and said, take and eat. Do this and remember me. And then he took the wine and said the same. Do this and remember me. And he said to them, I will not eat or drink of this anew until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. 